Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond. I am a church planter candidate with Milwin Mission, and we are back to the old gang from the very first episodes. It's been a while, uh, so I'll let them introduce themselves. My name is David Rover, and I'm an intern here at Milwin. I'm Steve Daw. I'm the director of education for Milwin Mission. I'm Matt Leahy. I'm a church planter uh, and pastor for Kilbike Community Church. So it's been a while since you guys have been on. So how you guys been doing? Not bad. Not bad? I can walk now. That's a good thing. Yeah, you had a bit of a slip in the fall. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the side effects of living in Newfoundland is that you have to deal with ice, and sometimes you don't deal well with ice. And, and that's not the trip you were hoping to take, I assume. Nope, but it was pretty trippy. Mm. This part can be edited out, right? The, the pun? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> yeah, but, so good. <clears throat> All right, so Matt, how you how you been doing, buddy? Uh, I've been doing good. Um, you know, life is is peachy. You know, we're back into alert level two. Really excited to uh, see things move uh, in in the direction of, of meeting in person with with KCC. You know, we we're really excited building great momentum uh, going up until uh, into March, and then you know we had the whole COVID outbreak round two, I guess for us, and that kind of put us on to the online mode. But yeah, listen, I'm, I'm looking forward to being level two now so we can now meet in person and man, life is good. That's, that's great, man. So yeah, so you're actually having something happening this weekend, aren't you? Yeah, we're, like I said, we're, we're going back into having our uh, in-person gatherings. So, you know, this week, for example, we, we have our home group happening again in person. We get actually get to see people. It's and we have our Easter stuff. You have something specifically happening this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have our Easter services coming there up, There we right? go. But I, I thought we were still talking about in-person things. So our Easter services, you know, they're, they are virtual. We never had time to kind of lock in, you know, bookings and, and a space to meet. But uh, anyway, check us out on, on the KCC Facebook page because we're going to be broadcasting, yeah, Friday and, and Sunday. Yeah, be on the lookout for that. Uh, Dave, what have you been up to, buddy? Yeah, it feels like it's been a lot of stuff over the past few weeks, but um, yeah, no, things have been good. Very excited about KCC and what's happening this weekend, especially with the Easter stuff. Um, lots of, you know, music, you know, me and Matt both preached a sermon. Very excited just to see um, what comes from it and mm -hmm. hopefully lots of people tune in. Yes, yeah, so be on the lookout for that if you're listening. Uh, this will release on Thursday, so you have Friday and Sunday to take it in. Uh, so... If you have the opportunity, you know, give, tune in for Kilbride Community Church, you know, Easter debut, I'd say, their first actual kind of services over Easter, mm. uh, which is very exciting for us. So let's, uh, let, let's, let's get into this. So we have an interesting topic for today, uh, one that some people really enjoy and one that some people really have a huge distaste of. So today we're going to be talking about Penal substitutionary atonement, and uh, just for the sake of avoiding that, every time you know we talk about, it, we can just call it PSA. So this is this is something that some people really like, and this is something other people really struggle with. Uh, so as we get into this, like you know, it's we're coming up on Easter, Good Friday, 
East, you know, Easter Sunday. So we have the death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus, basically the, the pinnacle of the Christian faith. And just a lot of theories um, about what happened on the cross and, you know, exactly what occurred. But we're going to be talking today mostly about uh, PSA. So you guys, help me break down, break this down. You know, what is penal substitutionary atonement and why do people have issues with it? Well, I mean, the simplest way of putting it is just to follow through with what the words say. Atonement, we are made acceptable to God and made at one with God through the punishment be, uh, that we deserved being substituted onto Christ. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess to break it down even further, that's just Christ is our substitute. Well, Christ is our substitute for punishment specifically. That's a great point. So why do people have issues with that? I mean, you know, like there's a phrase that was coined that I, I absolutely hate because it's so inaccurate. It's it's cosmic child abuse. That that's what you know some some parties and people would would call what happened on the cross because they would look at it and say, well, here's God the Father, uh, you know, commissioned God the Son to go to Earth, and now I'm just going to torture him. I'm going to crucify him. Um, it it look it looks like it. People will say it looks like child abuse, cosmic child abuse, right? And I mean, that's one of the options. That's the, kind of the pejorative way of doing yeah, it. That's but right. I mean, if we could unpack that a little bit, that that's the visceral uh, feeling problem with it. Mm-hmm. The other one is going to be that in order for God to have uh, take, put the wrath that we deserve on Christ, there's a couple of things that have to be there. First of all, God has to have wrath on sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we A lot of people will have discomfort with that. Um Secondly, uh, God would actually have to have a need to actually get recompense for that re- that wrath that He has on sin, and that's another thing that people would have problems with. You know, God is ju- God is love, and so love doesn't actually love covers a multitude of sins. We say, but the idea there is that the justice of God would not have any requirement for recompense for sin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people too have a problem seeing God as loving and wrathful at the same time, yeah. which I think is why a lot of this objection often occurs, is because they can't see how those two things actually, well, in the cross, how they ultimately, they actually are together. Um, and, you know, if without wrath and love isn't really perfect as it is on the cross and, and vice versa, they see those two things as just totally different instead of together, um, which I think is where a lot of people, as Steve was saying, just kind of have their... Um, responses negatively to it because they don't they don't like it it doesn't feel good um yeah i was doing some reading this book and steve i don't know if you can help me pronounce his last name no i can't it's like peter schmiken schmiken uh, i think that's how you would say it schmiken schmiken smoking uh yeah so peter s-c-h-m-i-e-c-h-e-n um, so this is the book that I got while I was in Bible college. So saving power has multiple different theories of the atonement. Um, and in the, in the course, I had to read through this book, all the theories, and then basically pick one to defend. Um, but he really doesn't seem to like penal substitutionary atonement. I was reading through it again, um, this, this, this morning. And he, he seems to believe that there's too much of a focus on justice. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an ironic problem. I mean, to be foc- to say that we have a problem with God having justice, but mm-hmm. I mean, one of the ma- most major things we see in our society 
is actually a, I would say, an almost overweening focus on justice. Mm-hmm. I think people have a have a problem with uh, with God's justice when it focuses on them. Everyone loves to see the murderer, the thief, the adulterer, the person who does tax evasion. You, you get what I'm saying, right? That everyone loves to see justice being enacted upon those people for their sins. But the moment the spotlight is turned on on uh, an individual, and it becomes real and personal, then people start crying. Oh, well, the Lord! You know, right? At least an individual that we either empathize with or we kind of like. That's right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I was going to read something out of here, out of uh, Exodus 34, actually, which which kind of speaks to what we're talking about with, with punishment and, and, and sin and, and justice. Because, uh, you know, what Moses is about to say or, and, and describe about God, it perfectly captures this idea how God is both loving and, and just and how he's both merciful and graceful, but yet sin must be punished. And this is what it says in Exodus 34 and in, starting in verse 6. Moses says, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And so, I mean, when you, when you take that passage, you see, like I said, you see this amazing display of, of what we all like to think of, of God of being this loving, this compassionate, this gracious God. But then Moses is affirming something that's also truly equal about God. He has to punish sin. Mm-hmm. Enter Good Friday. I mean, there are ways that he punishes sin mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Old Testament, right? But like uh, Adam, you had mentioned, we see this is the pinnacle of, of how God punishes sin and takes care of sin once and for all. Uh, and, and this is where we come to, to Good Friday. So, Yeah, so um, what, where do we see in Scripture that points us to penal substitution, or PSA, we'll say? Do you, can you guys help me find this in Scripture? Because, you know, again, we'll have people say, well, well that's, it doesn't actually say, you know, penal substitutionary atonement. Let, so me, like, let me read it. This is from uh, Romans chapter 5. I'll begin to read at verse 6, but I'll kind of accent the part that's important. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for, for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that's a direct statement of you know Christ dying for us. Mm-hmm. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, by him from the wrath of God. Ooh, can I read one? But the, I, I just want to accent just a couple of things. Okay, yeah, sure. I just want to bit excited on the subject. Because <laughs> it, it says, first of all, that you know Christ died for us, which is the substitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he died for our punishment for the and it's from God the wrath of God by which we are saved, and that and then you know it continues on that this is how we are reconciled to Him in verse ten, so it it's all there, penal substitutionary atonement it's right there. Boom. What do you got, Matt? Well, I got Isaiah fifty three, right? Classic passage on the suffering servant and. You know, that, that's a whole another subject on how Christ is, is the suffering servant. So Steve just read something out of the New Testament that kind of looked back at the cross and kind of affirmed what happened at the cross. But here's Isaiah written hundreds of years before 
Christ was born and looks forward to this suffering servant, this suffering king who would die for uh, his people and who, who would take upon their sins on his shoulders. And this is what it says in, uh, in verse 6. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, him being the suffering servant, for the iniquity of us all. There's PSA in the Old Testament. I mean, there's other passages you can go to. So again, this looks forward to a, a figure, Christ, as we, as we understand it, uh, who would take the iniquities of all of us as wandering sheep who have transgressed and disobeyed uh, God's law and his requirements, and the punishment was put on his shoulders for our sins. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll throw my hat in the ring too, because I mean, well, I mean, to be honest, we could probably just sit here for another hour and keep picking things that that go to this right it's all over scripture um but kind of talking a little bit about what i mentioned before too even with the fact that love and wrath they aren't actually separate i think probably one of the if not the most clear places where we see these two things collide is in first john 4 and everybody loves this passage it's often you know so many people will quote god is love but finish the next couple verses right so it says Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So, or in other words, you know, this is how God showed his love to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, I mean, when you first read it, it might not be super clear, and I don't know how much we'll actually get to talk about this word, but this word propitiation, that's a huge word, and basically... Yeah, that's a good word to define. Yeah, yeah. basically the, the word means to satisfy or to appease the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. So what it's saying is Jesus loved us by satisfying God's wrath on the cross. That's the direct connection, and and actually that's how he's defining what how God has loved us. So to say God is love, but then to forget the wrath, you're actually totally missing how God loves us. Um, And he did that by bearing, you know, God's wrath so that we may live. Mm. And again, right. So there's that, there's that connection. Um, And just to add onto that too, I love, I love this conversation because um, maybe we, again, we might not talk about this all today, but I do love the fact that penal substitutionary atonement, it makes the cross, it makes the gospel personal. Um, And I just love seeing that in, in this text and, and so many others. And it makes it central as well. Sorry, Steve, I know you're going to say something. So PSA makes the cross the center. How do you get back to God? How, do you, how are you reconciled to God? How, how are you brought into right relationship with God? Through Christ, his death, our substitution on the cross. Yeah. Now, of course, we do have to recognize that there are other images of atonement in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Christ is reconciling him, uh, reconciling us to God through the cross. That's one. That's an image. Uh, there's another image of that Christ is victorious over the principalities mm-hmm. and powers of evil mm-hmm. on the cross. That's also another image. But I do think that it. it I, I mean, scripturally speaking, it's no question that the Bible does in fact teach some form of Christ taking the just punishment of God for His people and being our substitute for punishment, which is PSA, just straight out scripturally. 
so Steve, you mentioned very quickly that there's other views of the atonement. Um, so what do you guys think? Is it important that people believe in PSA or can they hold just to the other views of the atonement? And very quickly, just using this book here um, that I have, um, you know, he goes through Christ's sacrifice, um, justification by grace, penal substitution, liberation, uh, the renewal of creation, the restoration of creation, Christ, the goal of creation, Christ, the way to the knowledge of God, Christ, the reconciler, the wonders and the wondrous love of God. So, I mean, that's a number of different views of the atonement. Um, and that's actually not even close to all of them. No, no. Um, so what, what do you guys have to say about that? You know, it, do, do people have to believe in PSA specifically, or can they hold to other views of the atonement? Well, so I would start off by saying I don't think there's necessarily, like, if you believe in PSA, then you don't believe in all the rest of them or, or any of the others. I just don't think there needs to be a break there. Like, I think you can believe in PSA, but also believe, you know, the fact that through the cross and resurrection that Jesus was victorious over sin and death. I don't think those two things have to contradict. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also be a very big advocate for saying that, yes, if you are a Christian, you you need to believe in PSA, because again, otherwise, how are you saved from your sin? Um, if it's not a substitutionary death, if there's no um, wrath borne out on the cross, if there's no atonement, then... I would I would say I mean it's it's on a couple of levels that we have to deal with this. First of all, I mean if we're right and the scriptures do in fact teach some form of PSA, if you don't believe it, then I have a question about whether or not about what you're generally believing anyway, because then then you're you we, you are saying that there is in fact a scriptural doctrine that you do not believe. That's going to be problematic. But second of all, I think there's going to be a central problem when it comes to, for example, the question of uh, Christ is victor, which is one of the option uh, options for atonement. Mm-hmm. Christ is victorious over the powers and principalities of evil. Which we would believe to be true. Which we do believe to be true. Uh, I mean, because it's also biblical. But the problem is going to be that it is also biblical in the context of the wrath of God being satisfied by Christ on the cross. You don't, th- those are not separate ideas. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if you believe, at least from a biblical perspective, in Christus Victor, you also have to believe in some form of penal substitutionary atonement. Otherwise, you just, you, you don't actually believe, in, at least in the biblical view, of Christus Victor. Um, so uh, it, 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 I'm not. Sh- I, I I don't think that they are mutually exclusive, but I do think that if you have excluded penal substitutionary atonement from your worldview, you don't have a biblical view of any of the other atonement theories either. Mm-hmm. And there's some real whacked out theories. I mean, I'm just just thinking of one that was. Uh, uh, one of the early church that was promoted by a guy named Oregon or origin origin origin. Yeah. And it was called the Satan ransom theory. And, and he actually postulated that Satan had a claim on man uh, after man had fallen and Christ's death ransomed man back to God and thus canceled the claim that Satan had on, on man. And so, I mean, you gotta be, you gotta watch out for all there. There's some real far out there. Now, of right? course the question I'm going to have to ask you then is what's wrong with, 
uh, origins theory? Well, I mean, first, it doesn't align with scripture, right? And I would say, no, it, it, it doesn't at okay. all. Uh, and, and so uh, you got to bring it back to, you know, what does what the word of God say? Uh, but even there's, it's a, it's a bigger discussion than that, right? Because like I, coming back to, to PSA, like you see PSA written all over the Old Testament. The old sacrificial system promoted it. It affirmed it. It anticipated a greater sacrifice, a more perfect sacrifice. Uh, and, and so by virtue of, of PSA being promoted as, as the uh, more prevalent atonement theory, if I could say that, by virtue, like these other ones, like the ran- Satan ransom theory, just it falls to the wayside. It, it, it holds no weight. Yeah, so, I would I would point out though, just for people listening too, because I don't I don't think this is what you meant, Matt. But there is actual scriptural evidence for the, like the fact that the cross, you know, Jesus did pay a ransom. Right. He says oh, yes, it himself yeah. in Mark ten forty five. Yeah. I like I'm going to lay down my life as a ransom for many. Yeah. Um. So I think the the major flaw with that. Is the ransom? Who's the ransom to or for? Right, right. Not that's a yeah. good point. Yeah. So it's not to Satan. Um, that's kind of the the flaw there. Yeah, and of course the flaw includes. Uh, I mean, it's one that we standardly fall into in the modern West because we've got this weird idea that there's two opposite powers. One is God, and one is Satan. You yeah, know, right. Satan is somehow equal in power to God, the God, the Trinity, which is of course insane. Mm-hmm. That's not true scripturally mm-hmm. in any sense. Uh, and so that would be another problem with origins theory. Mm-hmm. It seems to en- envisage a view of, well, uh, good and evil that simply isn't biblical. That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, even in the book of Job, <laughs> Satan has to go to God and like, God basically gives him permission to go and attack Job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, just looking on the uh, Gospel Coalition website, um, they have a quick little article there on um, Chris's Victor. Mm-hmm. So just for people to know what we're talking about, Christopher Victor, Christus Victor, sorry, is the element of the atoning work of Christ that emphasizes the triumph of Christ over the evil powers of the world through which he rescues his people and establishes a new relationship between God and the world. Uh, just a quick question to you guys, like, you know, for those who want to promote this view as opposed to, you know, PSA, um, what do you get? What do you think we get out of Christus Victor without PSA? Absolutely nothing. Do tell. Well, the fact is, if if there is, in fact, no... Uh, I mean, to use a, a couple of, of things, how do the powers of evil and, and principalities and powers of evil have authority over us but through our sin, and specifically the just wrath of God for our sin. Mm-hmm. That's how they have the power. That's how they have validity over us. That's how sin works its, 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 its power through us. It's because of the fact that we are separated from God, we have created another God in God's image, and we justly have the wrath of God on us. Mm-hmm. If that's not true, well then honestly the powers and principalities of evil have no power over us anyway. And so why the heck would Christ need to die on a cross to reconcile us to God? Um, why, why does the cross actually put, to, uh, tr- put triumph over the powers and principalities? It's because God 
is paying for the just wrath we deserve on that cross. And that's that results in our reconciliation to God and the defeat of the evil. Yeah, so um, if, if I get what you guys are saying, we're not saying that the PSA you know, has to be the only view you promote, but if you promote any other view, uh, PSA is what grounds it, basically. Exactly. It's what gives it substance. It's, you know, it's the reason why or how. Right. Right? If, if Christ is victorious, then it, the why or how is through PSA, right. through that price that was paid. If Christ reconciles us to the Father, the how or the why, again, is PSA through that sacrifice on the cross. Right. Now, I think we do have to deal with objections that have come up lately about this. I mean, specifically the one that uh, uh, Matt started with, mm-hmm. you know, the cosmic mm-hmm. child abuse question. All right, so let's tackle let's tackle that, guys. So is this cosmic child abuse? Did God send his only son to earth and then just, I guess, without his permission? Just uh, we, we, no. We, we, yeah, no. <laughs> pour, pour his wrath? I'm like, okay, so... Break this down for me, then. Why isn't this cosmic child abuse? Is God's only son who's bearing all the suffering, the wrath um, being poured out on him? And, you know, if he is the only sinless man, then some people might even say maybe unfairly. Yeah. Like, what's what's actually happening here if this isn't cosmic child abuse? Okay, first of all, we have to recognize the context of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. It's not the situation of God the Father... Sending, uh, uh, sending the second, this this separate person called the the God the Son, uh, because they're both part of the Trinity. They're both God. Yeah, I think something just adding on to what Steve just said. You know, it's it's super important for us to realize that this wasn't like Jesus like drawing the short straw yeah. out of the Trinity. Like this was a developed plan where Jesus himself willingly knew about, willingly came, willingly went to the cross. Um, and well, if you're going to actually think about what abuse is, I love how Jerry Wilson puts it. Um, he says, abuse is committed with malice against unwilling parties. And I think that's that's a pretty decent definition yep. of what abuse is. If, and if that is what abuse is, then it doesn't fit what's happening on the cross because Jesus was not an unwilling party. He Nor was, was there any malice. In uh, fact, when you read farther in Luke, it says Luke, our Jesus was resolute. He cast his face as a flint upon Jerusalem, right? He looked at the cross. He's like, I'm going to embrace that cross. Well, and I mean, he states that he states clearly, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I yep. will take it up again. Yep. So we have two parties here. I think the, the mistake a lot of people make, again, is separating Jesus, the son, as just that, only a son. Right. And not a person of the trinity right which means if we look at it as a person of the trinity that we have god the father pouring his wrath out on god the son so that we might be saved right and it's and, done willingly and before somebody takes out the the weird uh, the weird atheist meme of you know uh well uh, god pours out on god the, the wrath of god mm. uh they are in fact different and i mean the trinity is a big a big deal to deal with. We should probably talk about it at some point. Mm-hmm. But the Trinity is not merely three gods, but nor is it merely one God that you know just has three expressions. We're talking about one God, three persons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and it it is it's it's a very big can of worms to open. Absolutely, uh, but, but it's it, a necessary one for yeah, Christian faith. And it, it, yeah. but this is this is a willing sacrifice. Um, Jesus wasn't forced into this; he wasn't coerced. Um, very quickly, looking into Ephesians, you know, Ephesians chapter one, verse four, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So, I mean, I mean, there's that with m- many other scriptures that say this was planned right before the foundations of the world. This was already planned, like before the, fa- the world was founded, that we were chosen in Christ. Like, right. this wasn't just, you know, oh, man, they sinned. What do we do now? Well, he- here's a plan. You know, like Dave said, which one gets the short straw? Which one of us is going? It wasn't that at all. And I, I also just want to add in on this conversation, too. Like, this is how we put love and wrath in the same sphere, right? Because this was a willing sacrifice. This was the plan. This is what, like... If you want to know why Jesus did all this, why he went through the suffering, why he came to earth, I mean, it was ultimately to glorify himself by saving people. It was to come and die. It was to come and pay for the punishment of sin. And he did that because he loved his own. John 3.16, for he, God so loved the world that he sent his son so that, you know, we might have life. I didn't quote that directly. Um, I'm really poor at actually quoting. But <laughs> anyways, that's, that's the idea, right? That's how these things coincide. Like, why did you, out of love? Because God loved. That's the David Drover uh, translation. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was part one of our penal substitutionary atonement episode. Um, Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Look forward to part two next Thursday. uh, When you hear us more talk about like the benefits of believing in PSA and you know how it really enriches every other theory of what happened on the cross. Uh, so I hope you really enjoyed this episode and I hope, you know, have a really good Easter weekend. And uh, we, we pray that the Lord would minister to you over this weekend as we remember the Lord's death and the resurrection and what, resurrection and what it means for us as Christians. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.